Well, there's much in our story from Matthew's Gospel today that makes me love Jesus. The Gospel writers obviously like this story. They think it's important for what they want us to know about Jesus, each of Matthew, Mark and John included. Matthew's telling of the story is beautiful in the simple way it starts. Mark recounts that Jesus and Peter had been in the synagogue before this, but that's a detail that's just not important to Matthew. The previous story had been about a humble, faithful centurion, and we looked at that a few weeks ago. Then verse 14, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. Uh, This is Peter, Simon Peter, the fisherman who would go on to be one of Jesus' closest and most effective disciples after a few wobbles along the way. Peter's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever. Uh, Houses were often multi-generational in those days, We learn that Peter was married, which was pretty common in those days. No social security meant that children were important when you got old. Which perhaps shows us something already about Jesus. He might have stayed single to show later generations that that is a perfectly fine way to be one of his disciples, to be in this world. Or he may have known he would leave a youngish widow and fatherless children as he himself would not see old age. For he knew, as the sun will rise tomorrow, that he would die before he had made old bones. Uh, In those days, having a fever wasn't seen as related to another illness. It was seen as an illness of its own. Some have speculated that it might have been malaria, as there was a fair bit around at the time. But whatever it was, it had knocked Peter's mother-in-law about. So much so that she was confined to bed. Verse 15. Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. No one asked Jesus to help. Usually people asked him for his help. But here Jesus saw the need and met it. Uh, Isn't that good to know? Some people are afraid to ask Jesus for help or, or don't think they know how to. But those worries will not hold Jesus back. He knows what we need and is happy to help us, whether we or other people ask him. Jesus is alive and active and sensitive to our needs today, as he was then. And he's not above helping an older woman who had a fever, which shows, as if I need to say it, he values a person with little or no social standing. She is an old, sick woman living with her son-in-law. But Jesus loves her. That's enough, really, isn't it? I need hardly go on. Uh, I know it's in a a short passage that we'll have the fulfilment of the prophecy of Isaiah and Matthew's identification of Jesus as the suffering servant of Isaiah's 
prophecy 700 years before. But before we get there, we have Jesus, the Son of God, God's Messiah, and the image of God in Jesus healing a sick old woman. There are the values of the kingdom of God. There are the values of the one who inspires my love and I'm sure inspires your love. I may fall short of those values myself, but at least I'm following the right God. Not tax cuts for the rich, but proper care for the aged. There's just so much we can learn from Jesus. Jesus healed her by touching her. We've already seen that he could heal at a distance, but just by speaking words. But here he went the extra step and touched her. That, as you may guess, would have made him ritually unclean. But that was no worry for Jesus. To start with, he contaminates people with good health. Nothing can contaminate him. No disease, no evil spirit. Nothing because he is holy and nothing bad can survive in the face of him if he chooses. Just imagine the scene. You have an old woman burning up with a fever. Nothing can relieve her suffering or they would have tried it. But at the touch of Jesus, her fever left her. Her head stopped throbbing. Her temperature came down. Her strength came back. She felt well again. All at the touch of Jesus. He has power and he knows how to use it. And he uses it well. And she began to wait on him. She began to serve him. For some, this is the central point of the story. When we see Jesus for who he is, as this woman clearly did, we can only serve him. That was her place in the world. That is our place in the world. I love what she did. I admire what she did. I think what she did was entirely the right thing to do. But please don't beat yourself up if your response to Jesus is not as immediately as not as immediate or exemplary. To start with, this is narrative, not command. But more importantly, many people over many centuries have taken their time to work out who Jesus is or might be and take their time to make this leap of faith. And I guess it's possible she already knew who Jesus was and that her hopes were already tied up in Jesus. She just needed to get well. But the great Christian writer C.S. Lewis, who did not grow up as a Christian, and really struggled with the Christian message and struggled for a long time and described himself as the most reluctant convert. And that's okay. If you're still working out who Jesus is, you can take your time. The thing I like about this woman is that she was now able to do what she obviously wanted to do. Jesus didn't ask her to do anything. She responded to his power and authority with hospitality and service. 
They were totally unequal in power and significance in the world, but they shared a goodness. I like that. I like to see Jesus bring out the best in people. There is goodness in people. We're made in the image of God, and it's lovely to see Jesus bring out that and honour it because he obviously accepted her ministry to him and she was happy to be healed by him as as she was happy to be healed by him she was happy he was happy to be served by her i also like the value that jesus places on simple hospitality when i see our servers set up morning tea or our volunteers provide coffee and cake at gap i think Jesus would value that. Verse 16, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to Jesus, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Jesus' capacity to help is not diminished by what he had already done or the lateness of the hour. The people around him recognised his extraordinary power and brought many people to him. How many? We don't know. But no ailment was too great and or small for him. Sometimes illness is associated with the work of Satan. But here we see that they can be distinct. There are evil spirits that need to be driven out and sick people who need to be healed. And this is important to me. Before I knew Jesus, I did not believe in evil spirits. Some people today are happy for there to be a Jesus who helps and heals and may open the door to eternal life, but they'll have nothing of evil spirits and Satan and hell. That's old religion. And without Jesus, as we meet him in the Gospels, I would not have believed they existed. People say the church has invented these things to scare gullible people and to give the church more power. But Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. No doubt some Christians over the years have gone overboard with hellfire and brimstone. But when Jesus says that Jesus drove out evil spirits with a word, and we have multiple stories in different places in the Gospels of Jesus doing that, what did Matthew think he was seeing? And what did Matthew think he was describing Jesus doing. If Jesus believed he was driving out evil spirits, who am I to question that? It would make Jesus out to be a fool or dishonest, and he's neither. So while the world will be better when there are no evil spirits, I would rather know that there are evil spirits and, and that Jesus has total mastery over them than totally discount their existence and leave myself open to their attacks. Before I came to Glebe, I used to visit a man who lived in social housing in Redfern. He suffered badly from some form of psychosis. He had a psychologist and was on serious medication. But his behaviour was always unpredictable. When I visited him one day, he told me he was going to kill me. He told me that Satan had told him to kill me. 
I looked at him and smiled because I liked him. And I said, no, you're not. He said he was. And again told me that evil spirits were telling him to kill me. They'd been telling him all night and he was just waiting for me to turn up. I said again, no, you're not going to kill me. And at that, he got a bit cross and said, why do you think I won't kill you? And I said, because you don't want to kill me. And Jesus will protect me. I think he may have just been testing me to see what I would say. He didn't have a knife or gun or anything like that. If he, if he had or I really felt under threat, I can tell you I'd have been out of there very quickly. But here was a man who felt intensely that there were evil spirits and that they were attacking him and directing him. Just imagine if I had said to him, oh no, there aren't any evil spirits. He was clever. He knew some of the Bible and he certainly knew that Jesus believed that there were evil spirits. And if I had gone there and read, uh, and I'd gone and there and read the Bible with him and he was testing me to see if I believed it, because if I didn't, why should he? So things settled down. We had a cup of tea. We talked about Jesus. I encouraged him to keep up his meds and to keep seeing his psychologist. We prayed that Jesus would drive away the evil spirits from him and protect him. And he did get better. And he ended up getting a job in a hardware store. And I felt that the Jesus we meet in this story had protected me and equipped me to help this man and would help this man. Then Jesus explains the significance of what Jesus had done. He interprets it as the fulfilment of prophecy in 50, uh, Isaiah 53.4. Uh, this isn't a uh, there's not a direct quote from any Hebrew or Greek version of Isaiah that we have, but it's close enough. But that's one of the things I like about this story. You don't have to remember everything word for word. You can go with the vibe, and the vibe is Jesus is the one who took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Isn't that fascinating? So often we think and hear that the good that was done on the cross is that our sins were paid for and we were brought out of slavery to sin so that we could be forgiven and be right with God. And wonderfully and totally, that is true. But on the cross, Jesus also took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So there will be none in the kingdom that comes. All because of Jesus. All because of the one who could and would touch an old lady and heal her and inspire and enable her to be useful and do valued service. And because of the one who would help many and drive out evil spirits. So this story is wonderfully Christological, which is a big word which simply means it shows us about Jesus as the Christ. 
Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as our King. It shows us that Jesus is the divine Son of God, the Son who would be the suffering servant who the prophet Isaiah would describe. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by us and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed in body and spirit. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But he has taken up our infirmities, and he has bore our diseases. The one Isaiah wrote about had come alive in a lovely, warm and inclusive way. These short stories from Matthew connect us with God's plans of salvation in Jesus in a wonderfully personal way. And that makes me love Jesus. And I hope it makes you love Jesus too. Amen.